Imagine if you and your neighbor who lived in the same city, state, country were going to get something to eat, going to get some food, and you were going to a restaurant. So you drove there in the same car, and when you got there, you come to find out you had to enter through the back door while your neighbor entered through the front door. And the back door was right by the dumpster, which was obviously dirty. And the back was a little dirty, a little broken, and had quite a bit of flies. So as you walk through that back door, you realize it's quite different than how the front door looked, which was clean, nice, and didn't have a dumpster beside it, and flies and different types of smells and lots of dirt and grime. So imagine you go to make your way to the front, because you had to go through the back, to go eat with your neighbor, but they tell you, you can't eat up there. You must eat in the back, and the back is not clean, like we said. There's a small, very kind of broken, shoddy area, um, kind of flies flying around it. Um, it's not that many tables, and the tables that are there are like very old and kind of broken. So imagine you're so hungry, you decide to stay anyway. So you grab a menu, and you can only eat one-third of the menu, which if you are a meat eater, it's all of the leftover parts of the animal. None of the, probably the, the better versions of the meat, but it's all more of the leftover parts that they, uh, most people usually don't eat. And if they eat it, they don't eat it often. Or if you're a vegetarian, that's vegetables that are ripe, um, overly ripe, and they're vegetables that have kind of soured out. Um, that's what they're making your food with. And that's the only thing on your menu that they're eating, that you can choose from. So you place your order and you realize you have to go to the restroom. So you asked the waitress, who's not really paying that much attention to you, and when you came in, she was kind of rude anyway. Um, you asked, where's the indoor restroom? And she responds, you can't use that one, but you can go to the one outside. This restroom is filthy, nasty, and looks like no one has cleaned it in days. This all happening while your neighbor is enjoying great service up front with well-cooked food, on a nice table that's not broken or dirty, um, and a nice, clean indoor restroom to use. I'm guessing if you're any form of normal, that doesn't sit right with you. And that is so far beyond fair. So I gave that example because on this episode, we're talking about Jim Crow laws. This is what a lot of Jim Crow laws basically did in America. It created this segregation between white people and black people, what white people could use and black people could use. So let that sink in a little bit as we get this episode started. Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. There, Here's the biggest part about it. We're doing this because not only is it important to me as a black man who's in the Enneagram space, but inner and outer work is very important. I think there's a lot of teachers and a lot of people who only focus on the inner work. And what I mean by that is AKA only dealing with yourself and your own space and not going outside of yourself and actually make community and the people around you better as well. And I don't live in a world that that is, I'm capable of doing that. And so I don't believe in that. And so when I teach the Enneagram, I believe it's inner and outer work because you're going to be confronted by things outside of yourself and maybe even your close knit community that is different. That's going to challenge some inner things that you will have to go back and work on. So that's just how I believe, and that's just how I approach the Enneagram. <laughs> so 
On this episode, we're talking about Jim Crow laws because we're talking about systemic racism. I want to show and help people understand how systemic racism not only still exists in America, but how it impacts us daily to this day. And I'm trying to give factual accounts of what happened in America, the truth, the tragic truth of what has happened in our country, so that people have not only subjective um, opinions from people, subjective experiences from black people who have experienced these things, um, or even white people who've seen it happen to black people, but also from an objective standpoint, like this, these is objective type of things, not just like somebody made it up. This is literal history. No puff, no imagination, no nothing. It is real history. Jim Crow laws, they were originated in 1865. So if you remember correctly, 1865 is that same year Juneteenth happened, um, which was supposed to be the, the last day that, you know, African-Americans were enslaved. You know, the, the Emancipation Proclamation already happened and the Civil War is like over. And so now, you know what? Guess what? 1865, you know, black people should be free. They're moving off of like slave lands because they were enslaved for so long. This is great. Yeah, that same year, 1865, Jim Crow laws came into place. And so, first of all, like the name Jim Crow, let's explain that. Jim Crow laws came into place in 1865. This is literally the same day that the same year the African Americans were supposed to have freedom. And so these laws basically enforce the separation of black and white people. And if you haven't uh, listened to the episode before this, the Black Codes, please take a listen to that because that was the very start of systemic oppression after the Civil War. It was the very start of it. Okay. So, and that was more in the South. So Jim Crow, that name, which is quite interesting if you, you think about it, it's like, so who is Jim Crow? So Jim Crow was made famous by a guy named Thomas D. Rice. Uh, it was an American performer and uh, did a variety act and made a character called Jim Crow. So this guy, Thomas Rice, blackened his skin by applying burnt cork, wore tattered clothes, and performed a song and dance. His minstrel song, so what this means, this minstrel, it's a medieval singer or musician and one who sang or recited lyrics or some type of poetry that was supposed to entertain people. So... In this instance, when we're talking about Jim Crow, so this guy made this character very famous in America and in Europe. And so he performed this minstrel's song and dance featured that was called Jump Jim Crow, which was apparently a hit in America and England, unfortunately. So if you think about this, this white guy basically uh, darkened his skin, wore tattered clothes, and basically tried to make fun of Afri poor African-Americans and slaves. That's what happened. And he did that and entertained a whole bunch of white people. That's what happened, unfortunately. So this is where this character of Jim Crow kind of originally comes from. There's a part of it in 
Africa where Jim Crow is known as a trickster. It was a crow named Jim that was a trickster. And so this person has turned this into a whole story and made it about basically a poor black person who they see as a joke. What was the purpose of the Jim Crow laws? And so the purpose of it was basically to keep black Americans um, segregated from white Americans. So the segregation of black and white people, since black people were not slaves anymore, there was this fear on multiple levels from uh, white people, no longer in control of black people, uh, not able to necessarily make money off of them like they had before. The thought that there would be an uprising of black people against white people. And there was a lot of, of this type of thought and rhetoric going on. The roots of Jim Crow laws began as early as 1865, immediately following the ratification of the 13th Amendment which was supposed to abolish slavery in the United States. So the black codes were strict local and state laws, which is the episode before this one, um, that detailed when, where, and how formerly enslaved people could work and for how much compensation. The codes appeared throughout the South as a legal way to put black citizens into indentured servitude, aka back into enslavement, to take voting rights away. Wow, they're still doing that to control where they lived and how they traveled and seize children for labor purposes. That is the beginning of the, and those beginning and the roots of the Jim Crow laws that are to come. And so the legal system was stacked against black citizens, which former Confederate soldiers working as police and judges, making it difficult for African-Americans to win court cases and, ins and ensuring that they were subject to black codes. So these black codes worked in conjunction with the labor camps for the incarcerated, where prisoners were treated as enslaved people. Black offenders typically received longer sentences than their white equals, and because of grueling work, often did not live out their entire sentence. They worked black people so hard in these chain gangs and different things that literally they died and was not able to even finish it and go and live a life that is supposed to be granted by the liberties of um, our American constitution, unfortunately. And so this caused a lot of issues because at this same time, remember 1865 is one monumental year, unfortunately, in America for a lot of different reasons. You have, like I said before, Juneteenth, black people are supposedly free, ratification of the 13th Amendment. But then you also have the... Ku Klux Klan rises. You have black codes being put in place. Then you have Jim Crow laws. So after this, the Reconstruction era happened. And so local governments, as well as, unfortunately, President Andrew Johnson made sure to block any efforts that helped black Americans move forward. So the Congress who had really tried to push some legislation to allow African-Americans to be able to like get the liberties they need and kind of get on their feet and their families from like, think about it. Some of the most traumatic things ever in history, people freaking own you. Think about that. Put yourself, try your best to put yourself in a position of someone who was enslaved. There's someone who owns you, treats you like crap or scares you, has beaten you um, or tried to kill you. And now you're trying to get your freedoms, but now people still won't allow that. They still treat you like crap. You have no dignity. People just don't even treat you with respect, like the smallest thing, like that you matter. So you have to think about this. The next part of this is the Reconstruction era. And the Reconstruction era was when 
black people were legitimately trying to build communities, trying to build schools, trying to build houses, trying to find a way to partake in the liberties and the freedoms that every American should have in this country and trying to live a life that's like, you know what? Slavery sucked and I'm very mad and pissed off about it. And honestly, part of me is used to it, but I want to have my own life. And so during this era, black people are really trying to not only migrate from the South, but they're also trying to build wonderful things and communities um, to build stuff. So at this time, unfortunately, violence was on the rise. And so it actually made it very dangerous to be a black American even more than when it was when, more when black Americans were enslaved. So black schools were vandalized and destroyed. There were bands of violent white people attacking them, torturing black people and lynching citizens in the nighttime, black citizens in the nighttime. So families were being attacked and forced off their own land that they end up getting across all parts of the South. And the most ruthless part of it was, as we all know, was the Ku Klux Klan, which literally was founded in 1865. I said this in the last episode, the same year where African-Americans were supposedly set free from being enslaved is the same year the Ku Klux Klan was created in Pulaski, Tennessee. That's messed up. I hope you see what's happening here. Now that black people just got out of being enslaved, there, there has been so many different creations of trying to stop them from getting their rights, their liberties, and their freedoms, and being just treated as equal that you matter. So think about it. You have black codes, you have the Ku Klux Klan, and now you have Jim Crow laws. These are three huge proponents. So we're talking about one group who is viciously violent and killing and terrorizing black communities and people. And then you're talking about you have laws. You have rules, laws, statutes, all these things being built into the whole system of life. And so this is where I'm talking about systemic racism. So Jim Crow was huge. It was more than just uh, laws against black people. It was a racial caste system that made black people second-class citizens, made to seem inferior. And when I talk about it's a way of life, I, I really want you to understand that, remember, black codes was more put into the laws. Ku Klux Klan was obviously more direct terrorizing things. But Jim Crow was like a little bit of both combined. So not only was it rules and legislation, which I'll get to in a little bit of how it became extra legal based on a court case that was seen at the Supreme Court, but it also was a way of life of how you treated and saw black people and treated them. So literally, it was the thought from many people in different so-called um, places of um, higher thought or study of human psychology or um, religious backgrounds, unfortunately, where they really made whatever that their specialty was, made it seem as if black people were inferior in many different ways, intellectually, culturally, um, all kind of ways to white people. This was huge. This was all of that. Talking about creating deep stereotypes that people, unfortunately, nowadays still have. That, that's the thing. People still have these crazy stereotypes about black people um, that they carry around and that they're so scared and they're so afraid and all these type of things, right? And so they do crazy things and I was scared for my life type stuff. So they, it was this narrative that black people are inferior, but they're also in great danger and scared of black people as well. So this was a huge part of uh, Jim Crow law and the Jim Crow era. And so 
It was undergirded by the following beliefs of rationalization that white people are superior uh, to black people in all the important ways, but not limited to intelligence, morality, and civilized behavior. Sexual relations between blacks and whites uh, would produce a mongrel race, some craziness, uh, which would destroy America. Treating blacks as equals would encourage interracial sexual unions. Any activity which suggested social equality encouraged interracial sexual relations. If necessary, violence must be used to keep blacks at the bottom of the racial hierarchy. The following Jim Crow etiquette norms show how inclusive and pervasive the norms actually were. So a black male could not offer his hand to shake a white male's hand because it implied social being socially equal. Obviously, a black male could not offer his hand or any other part of his body to a white woman because he's risking of being accused of rape. Emmett Till, if you haven't researched that or know about Emmett Till, please do. Huge, very important. Black and whites were not supposed to eat together. If they did eat together, whites were served first and some sort of partition was placed in between them. Under no circumstances was a black male to offer to light a cigarette for a white female. That gesture implied intimacy. Blacks were not allowed to show public affection towards one another in public, especially kissing, because it offended white people. Jim Crow etiquette prescribed that blacks were introduced to whites, never whites to blacks. For example, Mr. Peters, aka maybe a white man, this is Charlie the black person that I spoke to you about. Whites did not use uh, courtesy titles of respect when referring to blacks. Black people, for example, Mr., Mrs., Sir, Ma'am, black people were called by their first names. Black people had to use courtesy titles when referring to white people, though, and were not allowed to call them by their first names. And this is even from an adult. I'm talking about like an old man who's been living here, a black man who's been living 60, 70 years. If he sees a young white male, a white woman, he has to say, miss such and such, or miss such and such, and can't say their first name. And then at the same time, if a black person rode in a car driven by a white person, the black person has to sit in the back seat or in the back of a trunk. So the white motorist had the right of way on all intersections. Now, this is literally some of the craziest, unfortunately messed up stuff that the Jim Crow era brought into our history in America. And it's really, really messed up for people to like go on and live as if that's okay. And this is also where you start to see all of the signs like throughout history. If you haven't seen them, you need to do some research. Whites only, black only here, water fountains. You got two water fountains, but only white people can use one, only black people can use one. This type of stuff. This is where these signs come from. Colored, served, in rear. Like signs like this, or signs that say no dogs, no Negroes, and no Mexicans. Stuff like this, stuff like this, is what the Jim Crow era did in America. And I'm telling you, that is the start of 1865 going just about 100 years until about 1964 until President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act that actually ended segregation, institutionalized by uh, Jim Crow laws. So here is how, how did Jim Crow laws become official official? So in... 1896, there was a court case called Plessy versus Ferguson. In this court case, where the Supreme Court actually undermined the constitutional protections of black people 
in order to legitimize Jim Crow laws and the Jim Crow way of life, which was supposed to be eventually called separate but equal. But in actuality, as you know from the very story up front, and even from the rules that I just read about the etiquette, you understand that it was anything but equal. And even trying to separate it is crazy as well, right? And so you have one class of people who have been treated wrong, who are being treated, taking their freedoms away, taking their liberties away. So when people do have power, they abuse this power. This was not like something equating to like actually being separate and equal. It was so far from that. And so they used this to basically steal oppressed black people. But now guess what? The Supreme Court literally ruled it to be okay. That's the worst part about it. Our Supreme Court, which is supposed to be the highest court we have in America, said, you know what? It's okay for racism to exist within our country. Let's go ahead and grant that. Even though our Constitution says that that is something we shouldn't be able to do because of the 13th Amendment, the 14th, and the 15th Amendment, all making sure that black people have certain freedoms, well, we're going to put in the Jim Crow laws. And what did the Jim Crow laws do to really, like, usurp the freedoms of black people that they were supposed that they were supposed to get with the 13th, 14th, 15th, and the civil rights law that was passed in? So... Part of it was um, schools. So it prohibited black and white children from attending the same schools and establishing separate public schools for black children. Similar laws were applied to colleges. So if you think about that, let's think about that now. All right. So black people are coming from slavery, right? And obviously black people don't have a lot of wealth and a lot of money. So it's really hard for them to obviously get the resources they need because you need economics, you need resources, you need help, right? So let's think about that. Wow. So it's really hard for black people to get those things. So now we're going to keep them separate. And guess what? The little bit of money that you do have, maybe you'll get it. But also, don't forget, your school is being vandalized by people who are extremely racist. um, And they are making sure that you have lesser amounts of stuff. Like, oh, we're going to give you our old, tattered, torn up books that we don't really read or do anything with. Okay, cool. Oh, also, we're going to make sure you don't actually get the same amount of money for your school as the white schools do. So your education is not going to be on as par or on par as the white schools. That was one thing they did. Same thing with colleges. Next, when you think about it, they separated the official records of black births, marriages, and deaths and from records of people who were white. Next, marriage example. So they prohibited a person of pure white blood from marrying or engaging in illicit carnal intercourse with anyone with African blood. So this was ridiculous. But this is one of the things that was absolutely crazy when you think about a person who has who knows how many different races and how many different, not even races, how many different countries and cultures and ethnicities within them. So a person who was obviously maybe mixed at the time, who was mixed with different ethnicities, this person, it's a, it's a struggle for them, a, a huge struggle for them um, because of these things. And what's so interesting, like I said, a lot of the etiquette before was that you know, there's this fear that black people and black men are going to rape white women and all these kind of crazy things. But in all honesty, when slavery was happening, um, mixed babies, uh, a.k.a. ethnicities were majority black and white, did not come from a black man raping a white woman. It came from a plantation owner raping a black uh, enslaved woman that he had in the house or even out there on the plantation. So it's crazy to see how some people unfortunately, will switch up 
how supposedly things were and make it seem like black people were supposedly these these savages and these animals, uh, unfortunately. And so then another one is when we talk about where you could sit on steamboats, on railroad carts, and even on buses. When you talk about that, we obviously know that there was separate seating for people. And the people who got the worst seats and or the back seats were always the black people. And black people had to, um, we know Rosa Parks, but even before that, there there was no, you could sit there until a white person come. It was just like, no, 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 that's your area back there. Uh, where, yeah, we didn't really clean up back there or anything. You can go sit back there. So there was a separation there. And then one of the biggest things, which I cannot talk about enough because they're still doing it today, is the attempt to eliminate the black vote by applying poll taxes, literacy tests, and the grandfather clause. So here, here's the thing. So first of all, you, you're coming from slavery. So like even, even like one or two generations in, you still don't have a lot of resources or money, right? And so the run, one of the ways they deterred black people from being able to vote is by adding a poll tax, literally adding a poll. Oh, you can't pay. Oh, you can't vote. Oh, that's messed up. And then a literacy test. So here's the hard part about it too, because we think about the schools and different things being made, but before the schools were built, even during the reconstruction area, um, and even during it, like when black people were seeing reading or trying to learn how to read, they could be beat killed and or threatened. So like, how are you supposed to do these things in fear that, oh my goodness, something may happen because I'm trying to learn. That is a big thing. When we talk about like learning to read, all these type of things, it was huge. And it was one thing that many races, white people were trying to stop black people from doing is learning to read, learning to educate themselves. This is real messed up. I don't know if you've caught that just yet, but this is some real messed up stuff in our in our country's history. All right. And then also like the grandfather clause. I talked about this in the black codes. This was if your grandfather was not able to vote, then you cannot vote. Wait, wait, wait. So you saying that my grandfather, who was a slave, who was not treated like a human, if he was able to vote, then I could vote. But we all know he could not vote because he was a slave or enslaved, better yet. So you're saying I cannot vote because you were enslaved? So this is what's happening here. You, you see, these are all the different ways that they're trying to stop people from voting and suppressing votes. They're still doing it today. Literally, I don't know, a few days ago, down in Florida, if you're an inmate and they have no, you're a former inmate and you've got out and you're like no longer in jail, they're trying to apply these fees that they don't even have really good track of to stop you from voting. They're trying to do it to protesters. If you protest a certain way, now we can take your voting rights and we're going to make it a felony. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they've been doing this since the very beginning. And this is one of the biggest things is systemic racism. It's suppressing people's right to vote and right to hear their voice. Yeah, this is so serious. All right, another one is the fact of segregation in basically every little place you could think of. From libraries, from hotels, from restaurants, bars, hospitals, theaters, uh, circuses, parks, like natural parks, just parks where you can just go and chill, beaches, restrooms, cemeteries, and wherever black and white people could co-mingle somehow. So you got to think about it. Every single place, there was this segregation of trying not to allow black people and white people to so-called co-mingle, but also 
usually and always the black people got the short end of the stick. It wasn't like both sides were equal, which is still a problem of the division that is being created. But nevertheless, it's not even like it's halfway equal. So you're getting the really crappy parts. You're like getting not the right service, especially in the hospital. Oh my goodness. Like, oh no, I won't, I, I don't, I don't work with black patients. Like, wait, what? I thought your oath and your duty was to do no harm by you not helping and having the ability to help you're harming someone. So that like, this is, this is huge. Like, Every single thing, this all all this is important and huge and a part of the American history. The next part is um, housing. Oh, my goodness. We I'll talk about redlining in a future episode. But when you talk about laws prohibiting homes designated for black peoples and not being built in white communities and vice versa. So there was no way for. If you were a black person, uh, you were trying to like move up into a nicer neighborhood that they had so-called red line that was not for black people or minorities. Well, you just couldn't move up. You had to stay where you were. And if things weren't good in your neighborhood, you had to kind of deal with it. And so you had to face a lot of adversities to do these things. I'm talking about banks aren't giving you loans because of the skin of your the color of your skin. Literally, these are all laws. I'm telling you, in a way of being that was really screwed up. Next part. So telephone companies were required to maintain separate phone booths for black people. Yo, this is crazy. You're spending a whole lot of money. Um, You're even spending resources that aren't necessary to create stuff that isn't even like necessary. So companies are even losing money on in this front, too, as well. And then when it comes to sports, same thing. Black people um, were restricted from playing in a pool, uh, baseball, football, cars, uh, domino checkers, golf, everything together. Couldn't do it together. None of that stuff. Um, just separate it. And then also factories and workplaces were required to maintain separate bathrooms. And so this is crazy, too. If, if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, the black bathroom was like not inside of the actual workspace at NASA. It was like way far away in the dormitory that she lived in and not in the actual place that she had to go. Like this is the type of stuff we're talking about. It's like not convenient, way far out, probably not taken good care of. And so the guy in the movie, which is a white man, and thank you for him, destroyed the the sign of the restroom that said colored or white. And he's like, this is a restroom. Go use the restroom. I don't care who you are. You are talented and you're valuable like everyone else on this staff, no matter the color of your skin. So those are just a, a few examples of the Jim Crow law. And what I, I want to express in that is that Jim Crow was not just those laws. We have to remember it elevated and escalated violence. Unfortunately, white people who were racist at the time. And so when this happened, it permeated throughout America. So let's let's, let's stop thinking it's just the South now. It has permeated and expanded across America. So it soon spread throughout the country even more with even more force to it. So, and then I want you to think about it. So yes, it permeated to the North, which I think with the current police brutality that we're constantly seeing in North, like Jacob Blake and George Floyd, we're, we're constantly seeing like, this is the effect that it has, not only on that, right? This is the effect, okay? Our police department, if you go back to the inception of it, the very inception of it, especially in the South, it was by people who were like members of the Ku Klux Klan, people who were Confederate soldiers who no longer were soldiers. So they became judges and they became cops. Wow, imagine these people enforcing laws, right? 
Imagine what their thought process was. And we wonder why we had cop brutality as that we do now on black people, just like we had years and years ago and acting like something is apparently like changed. This is a part of the effect of it. So when Jim Crow laws get up north, they're doing very much the same thing. Very much the same thing where there's ways that black people can do stuff and cannot do stuff. And so one of the ways that they stop people from voting up north who were black is basically say, oh, you have to own property before you could vote. Hold on, hold on, wait. So I just migrated up here from the south trying to become a freedman, which I am technically, right? So now that I want to vote because I want to be a part of our society, I want to help make our society better and, and do things that, are, you know, help move us forward. But I have to own property now. And so now you're saying that I have to somehow get a job that they're paying lower wages because they already weren't going to pay me well because of the color of my skin or just an equal amount to the white people that I work with. So now you want me to own property in order to have my right to vote. Wow, that's messed up. So when we talk about voter suppression, there's so many ways they've tried to do it, so many different ways. And then not being able to utilize the same services. So, you know, there wasn't a plethora of every business in a neighborhood or a city like some big cities have. There was maybe that one shop that could do that, that one thing or provide that one service. But guess what? Unfortunately, they don't serve black people. Whites only. A sign on the front door. So what do I do and how do I do that? I have to do my best to make what I can out of what I have. And that's what black people have done for the longest time. But unfortunately, it made so much strife on the lives of many, many black people. Here are some of the facts of the background history of Jim Crow laws. So the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which was intended to protect ex-slaves, a.k.a. freedmen, um, from legislation in the states of the South, such as the infamous Black Codes. The 1866 Civil Rights Act led to the emergence of white secret societies such as the Ku Klux Klan. Congress responded to the intimidation practices and violence perpetuated by the Ku Klux Klan by passing the Enforcement Acts. The Enforcement Acts were passed to guarantee the laws of the Constitution in respect to the 13th Amendment of 1865, which abolished slavery, supposedly, the 14th Amendment of 1868, which related to citizenship rights, and the 15th Amendment in 1870 that declared the voting rights of black male citizens. And then the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1875 was not enforced, and the Supreme Court declared it unconstitutional in 1883, and it gave constitutional foundation to the Jim Crow laws enabling racial bigotry to survive in the name of state rights. And that lasted until, like I said, 1960s, 1964. And so when you think about this, remember that the phrase states' rights. Here's the problem. It would be great in a utopian society um, if, you know, the states literally looked out for all of their citizens, not the ones that were the same color as them, um, but they really looked out for all of their citizens because, hey, you know, states' rights, you know your state better than we do. The issue is that, unfortunately, that's not how it works. And so... If you think about it, the people in those states, if you were a racist person in power, which tends to happen, unfortunately, in our country because of our history, then obviously you want states' rights because it's going to, you're going to be able to do things that you want and keep power and control like you want over black people, unfortunately, and in anything that you do. So the power has to come from up top and has to come from leadership and it has to be strong. 
It, it cannot be flimsy or halfway because it always, if you look at history, it always bends back. If a person's not strong about change and serious about it, the thing about history, it will always flip back to the people who are cantankerous and have power and control and money and want things to be their way, which is usually not an equal way or a way that promotes a positive, empathetic view on our whole society as a whole. It's always some type of discrimination or something, right? So I've, I rambled a little bit on this episode because it's a lot. And today is maybe two days after Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times in front of his kids, his young kids. And uh, it's, it's been a lot. It's been real heavy. So I'm sorry for the ramble, but I do want you to understand the impact of the Jim Crow laws. Uh, this is a very small part of it because the more research you do, the more you'll learn just how messed up it really was uh, for African-Americans um, in America uh, and especially in the South. So I hope you do your research after this and learn a little bit more about the Jim Crow laws and just see how it literally is a huge way that it was baked into our laws and the way that we live. Um, and even though in 1964, when legislation was signed by Lyndon B. Johnson to stop it, we all know good and well it didn't just stop all of a sudden. People who were racist or lived a racist lifestyle wasn't like, oh, okay, he signed a piece of legislation, let me stop it. It didn't mean that people still weren't burnt. Think about it, 1965, burnt and lynched, that's what I meant. In 1964 is when the Civil Rights Act was signed, but you got to remember in the 1960s when so many prominent African-American and people who fought for equal rights were killed. JFK, Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, Megar Evers, Martin Luther King. And these mo most of these were after the Civil Rights Act was signed. So you really have to think about like how these situations happen. So don't hear like, oh, the Civil Rights Act happened in this year, so things must have been good after that. It solved the problem. No, it didn't. Unfortunately, it takes more people to stand up and it takes people who aren't just the people who are being oppressed. And that's for all oppressive issues. OK, that's that's all of them. The intersectionality of our issues and being oppressed is not OK for any race. Right now, we're talking about black people because it is prominent, it is out front, unfortunately, and it is um, on, it has our country on fire and I'm on fire about it, to be completely honest. And so that's a problem. And so that part of the outer work is making sure that like you make sure that not only you're knowledgeable about what's going on, but the fact that you actually exercise your rights to vote, your rights to stand up for other people and protect them. I appreciate so much the um, wonderful, wonderful, amazing people who happen to be white people who have stood up for me um, to protect me in times where uh, I've been treated wrong. Um, to stand up and say something. I really appreciate that. I appreciate people who do that for people who are marginalized in a minority communities. Thank you so much. And please keep up the harder work. For people who are listening, who are not racist, I need you to be anti-racist and I need you to take action. I need you to find a way of action. Um, you are influential in some type of way, whether you know it or not, because you know someone so that makes you an influence. And you are a leader in some type of way or not. So whatever field that you specialize in, whoever you're around, these need to be the things that are on the forefront of you acting to make a change um, in our country and in our world if we want it better. Because trust me, I don't want the kids and the generation to grow up beneath me having to deal with this same crap over and over again because we didn't make a true stand 
um, and tell you that this is this has to stop. Police have to be held accountable. We have to think of new ways of actually dealing with situations that doesn't put all the pressure on cops to solve every issue because a bunch of it, they're not trained for and they're not trained properly anyway for most of them. So we need to make sure we exclude them from some of it and the community needs to handle some of these situations. So there's a lot of different things that we can do that we need to be doing and I hope we continue to do. And one of the biggest things, go and vote. We have we having a big election coming up. Go and vote. We've got to, that's one thing. If you see the 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 thread throughout uh, history from 1865 to now, one of the biggest things and one of the biggest systemic issues is repressing votes for people who are marginalized and oppressed. If that's not the craziest thing I've ever heard, it, it's wild to me, right? But that's what's happening. So that is one of the biggest things: getting people registered, actually voting, and there's so many more, uh, so many more things to do. So I'm going to end it right there because I could rant for like a year. Thank you so much for listening. To me, even kind of wandering, ran around a little bit uh, in this episode. Podcasting is not free um, for podcasters, but it is free for listeners. So if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to um, patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. You can have support from $1 up to whatever you can do. That greatly helps me to be able to um, keep this podcast going and also pay like my podcast editor uh, and also working on getting like a uh, virtual assistant. I want to put more time into this and actually really, really go more in depth um, and have more time to do it as well. Uh, so yeah. And then um, besides that as well, the other thing is I have a program coming up in January. I'm going to be teaching the Complete Enneagram. Um, it's called the Kaizen Complete Enneagram Program. And it's going to be a 12-week Enneagram teaching. There's going to be over 36 hours of live teaching from me. There is, it's almost like kind of like online grad school if you ever did that, because there is an online platform that you're going to have weekly work to do on it. But I mean, think about it. It's fun. It's great. It's amazing. It's the Enneagram, right? So you can find more about that program coming up in January. You can find out more information on it at kaizencareersacademy.thinkific.com. It'll be in the show notes so that you can click on it. Um, also, if you go to my website, kaizencareers.com, it's going to be in a in a nice little banner on the front. So you can go there and look at the program. And um, I would love to have you. I'm only teaching a small group uh, because I want it to be quite interactive, engaging, live, and transformational. The goal of it is to be able to not only understand the Enneagram like in totality and how it all works, but come out with a transformational guide for you to know exactly how to grow, how to develop, and be able to really transform your life and move in the different instances that the Enneagram gives you. So uh, please check that out. That's going to be really good. Um, I'm putting a lot of time and energy and focus in that. Um, besides that, just, you know, thank you um, for listening, for your support. Uh, there's many, many great people out there. And make sure... You know, when you when your type has come into play and is controlling your life and driving your car, stop your ego and do it for the gram, the Enneagram, of course, and make the wise choice. Be action oriented and not just in your inner work, but also in your outer work. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.